Welcome to another podcast from the Burlington Congregation of the Church of God International. You can find out more about CGI Burlington on our website at cgiburlington.org. Good afternoon, everyone. Well, I'm so happy to be here. Extremely happy and also to be here at a time when uh, I could again hear the youthful talent, uh, wonderful talent of music uh, being played by the young people here. And I know that there's a lot of work going on here. Uh, Pat Murray, um, Adrian, Jan at the forefront of the leadership, uh, giving the kind of uh, support that you need and of course, you know, the many other persons who are involved here. This morning, my daughter and I uh, set out from Toronto to be here. And um, of course, a little bit of delay because there's some accident on the road. But uh, it, it didn't hold us for too long because, um, you know, the detour, the, the uh, exit in order to get off the highway. Uh, came early enough, so we were able to get here on time. Uh, my wife, Lola, uh, sends her greetings and her love. She is actually in Jamaica. And um, so she's there, and we'll be back sometime in September uh, in time for the feast. So uh, we'll get to see each other there at the feast. And of course, I want to express how pleased I am to be asked to be here to share with you on a subject that I think is not one that we discuss very often, um, but it's something I think that is very, very important for us to, to think about today and to spend some time reflecting. It is settled, Brother Adrian said it, how God governs His church. We see that many uh, models of church government in the world. Uh, there is a, a sort of authority-driven um, church model in which you have a whole series of persons you know, structured more like a, a large company corporation, you know, with the various uh, line persons down. We see what is called congregational um, church government, where it is really the members of the congregation that are, uh, that drives the, the management of the church. And uh, there is also the sort of singular, where you have a single person that is sort of established and set up um, himself and sometimes herself as the person that really uh, drives that. Does God have a system? Is it in your Bible? Is it something we should know about? Should we be taking up time in this sermon to talk about things like that? 
should we be talking more about the more spiritual things? Um, you know, some folks think so. Because they believe that, well, this is not something that really, really matters. We should be using the time, the sermon time, to deal with the subject like this. Uh, we probably should be talking about maybe um, the feast that is coming up, and that's true. The feast is coming up, and we should all be prepared for the feast. We should be thinking about it and getting ourselves um, in, in a, a frame of mind and a frame of spirit uh, for the feast. So not many people really think that this is a critical topic. I want to present it to you in a manner that you can see yourselves in it. The issue of the governance of the church is probably the greatest issue around which people decide to stay in the church or to leave it. To stay in a congregation or to leave it. Most times when people become upset, here and there we will ask questions and think about things that we don't uh, necessarily um, or clearly understand. But it really is about the running of the church, how it is operated, how it is managed. And the fact is that if I should ask you a few questions, it may bring it home a little clearer why this is so important. For example, what time do you prefer that we should meet as a congregation? Not everyone here has the same answer. You're going to find different answers. Some probably think, you know, we should start very early in the morning. Others may think, no, mid-morning is better. We need a little time to rest, but, you know, don't come at one. We may have varying uh, views on that. We may have questions such as, should there be a Sabbath school? And who should run it? Who should be the teachers? The persons who are selected as teachers, do you agree that this is the person that should be the teacher? You will find that these are issues that arise. It comes up. It's not about doctrine. It's just about the things we prefer. Sermons. How long should they be? What kind of sermon do you prefer? A 15 minute? A half an hour? You can get it in various sizes, shapes, and numbers. But you may have your own choice about the kind of sermon that you want. Deacons? Who should select or decide on persons that become deacons? Or <coughs> elders? Or how should the pastor be, how should it be decided upon? Should it be that the congregation should decide who they want as their pastor? After all, the pastor is serving the congregation. Should the congregation be the one to decide who should be pastor or pastors or elder or elders in the church? How should we deal with 
issues of discipline or issues of conflict. Some feel that, you know, maybe it should be a sort of um, committee uh, structure. Others may have other ideas on it. Uh, those are some of the, the questions that would, um, that would arise. So, just suggest something that you think this is the way it should be. And go to any one person and say, you know what, I think really that what should be happening is that we should have um, a smaller room, not as large as this. We can get a large room, but, you know, maybe when, you know, we grow a little more and the person says, no, 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 it's important that we already have a large room because we think that, you know, we should be evangelizing and we must fill out the room. So it is best to get the room and ready, like when a baby is being born. You already get all the things, you purchase the clothes and the, the bedding and everything until the baby arrives. So we are expecting people to come in the church. And so someone may say, oh, it's good, it's good for that. You're going to find that there are differences and there are issues and there are disputes and disagreements and various things of that sort that arise as we are in the church. So how should we make the decisions? Who should make the decisions? Very, very important for us to think about this because that's what we're going to look at in the scriptures, how God has laid it out. And the scriptures provide clear guidelines for all of this. And what is important to see is that we come to the view that we are not really depending on ourselves. That God is in charge of his church, and he is the one who decides and determines how the church is to be structured, how it is to be managed, how we are to relate to each other. And so, you will see, for example, that in the scriptures, in Acts 4 and verse 35, we don't have to turn there, but you will see that Luke you know, he found it necessary to speak about how money is managed. He spoke about it and said, you know, it should be under the control of the overseers. That's um, Acts 4.35. You'll see in Acts 15, where there was an issue about doctrine. And when that issue came up, it is recorded there again in the book of Acts, and it shows that an assembly of the elders came together in order to decide on what should be done. And then they wrote out the information and the instructions and sent it out to say, this is what the church believes. This is what the members must adhere to. You look in the book of Hebrews and in, in, in uh, chapter 13, Again, I'm just running over these, so you don't have to turn there yet. But in chapter 13, verse 17, you are seeing here where there is an explicit instruction to the church to obey their leaders, the authority, to submit to the authority of leaders. And so there are many such things in the scripture. 
You know, if a church is to emulate the church of the New Testament, there's no way we can sit aside and decide on our own how the church is to operate. It's going to be very important for us to take the Bible. The first thing I think that is important is whether we respect the Bible as the Word of God, the authority that God has established through which we must be informed and submit. I think that's the big issue. That is the big issue. If we have settled on that issue, the only question we have to ask after is, what does the Bible say about this? It's not about you, it's not about me, it's not about how we feel, it's all about what does God say. And that is probably the most um, workable way for resolving issues and resolving problems so that we can at least agree on the source of authority. So therefore, what does the Bible say about the authority of the church? How is it structured? And how must we understand it? Well, let us start where we, we should. Christ is the head of the church. Let's start there. Christ is the head of the church. It is Christ's authority that governs the church. So whatever we are looking to after that, it is, what does Christ say? Where has he, he given uh, the, this instruction? You'll see that the authority of Christ in Ephesians 1, 22-24. The reason I'm not turning there is because I have all the scriptures to turn to. And I don't want to be extraordinarily long. You'll see it in Ephesians 5, verses 23 to 24. You'll see that in Colossians 1 and verse 18, that ultimately, it is Jesus Christ who is in charge of the church. It's not us, elders. It's not the deacons. It is not the person who is longest in the church. It is Christ and what he says. So, what we need to do then is to say, well, what does he say? And you turn now with me to Ephesians 4. And we look at verses 11 to 16. And the Bible which you and I claim to be the authority that God has established, he has revealed his will. Here is what it says about Jesus Christ, what he has done in order to establish the authority in his church. Because he's the head of the church. It says, and he himself, I like it. I like the way it is said here. Because the emphasis to know that he is the one who said it. And that he who is in charge has, has now asserted his authority. We need to look at it. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, 
some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry. There's a lot contained there because it's not showing the work of those Christ appoints, but it doesn't stop there. It is now transferred to the saints who are being equipped and who themselves must be engaged to do works of service. What they say is that each person in the church has a role in the church, has something to do. We should never find ourselves in the church and not engaged in some way, doing something for the uplifting of the church. So that's the ministry. The ministry is to equip the saints, and that is equipping every way. The equipping of the saints for the works of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and to the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure and stature of the fullness of Jesus Christ. And it goes on, you go down to verse 15, it says, But speaking the truth in love, that we may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ the head of the church, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by whatever joint applies, according to the effective working by which every part does a share. So, so that's what we are seeing. So the church has a structure. The church has authority. The church has leadership. So what we want to do is to look a little deeper in Scripture to see how did this structure and this leadership emerge. Is it, is it that it is since Pentecost that the leadership of the church came about, or is it something deeper? Is it something more fundamental? Is it something that God has been doing all along, and therefore there is as much we can learn in the Old Testament about the management and the leadership of the church as we can in the new. I would like to suggest to you that the method by which God governs His church, that that was established right at creation. We need to get back there because this, this, this gives us the kind of foundation, the root, the basis of the government of the church. That it is not something that is just put out of. There is a, 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 there is a, a sort of a deeper level. It's like you're, 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 building, you're putting up your building, but the foundations of it it's critical to be sure that it is deep down in the ground to understand what you're seeing on top. 
So we're seeing things like, you know, elders and deacons, and we're seeing, you know, many things, these sort of structures. We talk about authority and so on. But where does this all come from? It's important for us to know. You go to the book of Genesis at the very beginning of it, and you will see there where God in his beautiful creation after creating man and woman he introduced the institution of marriage marriage I want to suggest to you that the basis on which God governs his church is based on the institution of marriage that is why we can't get away from it that is why we can't ignore it that is why we cannot say we don't understand it because God has simplified it in a sense but also has so um, ingrained it into our own system of human life the method he uses to manage the church that we can't escape it that is why no one should be able to come and to just begin to tell you their opinion and their views and, and try to suggest well I think and this is the way I was grown up and this is the way I think no you can get straight back to the scriptures within the institution of marriage God defines the structure of authority in the church he defines that for both the human family and for his divine family because the first concept we need to have in mind is that the church is a family it's a family of God there's a little song that is sometimes you might have heard it I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God it is true when you when God calls you into the church he calls you into family and in the human family he defines how husbands must relate to wives and how children must relate to parents and how parents must relate to children and the whole structure of authority and relationship is developed in the marriage institution with which we are all familiar he goes on to show that the husband is head of the wife so that although there is authority in the wife there is still an authority above the wife which is the husband's authority and he shows that there are roles that the father has the mother has and that the children have the father or husband is the main provider the wife 
provides another level of leadership and another level of support, complementing that of her husband. She has authority over her children. Let us now look and see if anything like that is in the Bible. Turn now to Ephesians 5. That was the, the scripture reading this morning. Let's go there. Ephesians 5. And let us take a look at this concept that addresses the issues of governance, the issue of structure, and the issue of authority in the church. This is a very beautiful uh, study. It, 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 it makes things so plain. It lays things out in such a structured way. You don't have to be guessing and jumping all over the place and wondering who is right. And It is all here for you. It's all here for us. Here's how it begins. Ephesians 5, 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. As to the Lord. So husbands are actually playing a role in their homes that is being compared to that that Christ actually is functioning in the church as to the Lord. It, it didn't have to say this. Because it said, why submit your own husbands? But why is it that it's being brought in as to the Lord? It goes on. Verse 23. For the husband is head of the wife. You could have stopped there. But it doesn't stop there. As Christ is the head of the church. There is a parallel being drawn here between the home and the church through the institution of marriage that God is revealing to us the structure of authority, the structure of governance, and the way in which he manages and governs his church. It goes on. And he is the savior of the body. You know, you're talking about one thing, but you're talking about the other at the same time. He goes on, verse 24. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let wives be to their husbands in everything. Because what you're going to see at the end of this reading is that the whole intent of what is being said here is not so much, it is about husbands and wives, but there's a greater purpose for this particular scripture. You'll see towards the end where it says, oh, this is a mystery. I speak not of the husband and the wife, but of the church. That's how it's going to end. We turn to verse 25. It says, husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loves the church. And gave himself to her. And you see, the parallel is very good because in scripture the church is understood to be a bride. 
So it's really marriage that we're talking about. And leadership that we're talking about. But God is teaching us through our own experiences. God is helping us to understand the structure and governance of the church through something that we are very much engaged in. Family life, marriage, husband, wife, children, and all the relationship that goes there. That's why no one should miss it. And that is why church government is so fundamental. Because if you consider the family and the structure of the family to be fundamental, you cannot then say that the governance of the church is not fundamental. It is as critical to the church as the role of father, mother is to the home and of children is to the home. That is why this is such an important matter for us to discuss. Verse 26. Well, verse uh, 25 finishes like this. Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word. That he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. The, the quality of the relationship in the church is one that is based upon a very deep love. A very deep love. It's a love that passes understanding. It's divine love. The way Christ loves the church, the stories being shown husbands are to love their wives in that very way. Ready to give up their lives for their wives. And in a sense, what you're going to see coming out of this is that that is the quality of love that should be among brethren. It's not casual. It's a love that is based upon a principle that as Christ would give his life for the church, so we should be willing to give our lives for each other. To love your neighbor as yourselves. Your neighbor's wife, um, your neighbor's life in this case is as important as your own. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. For we are members of his body of his flesh and his bones. Step down to verse 32. It says, 
This is a great mystery. But I speak concerning Christ and the church. All of what was said before, all of what you are hearing about husbands, all of what you are hearing about wives, and all of the relationship being spoken of, all along, the intent of the author was not about human marriage. Human marriage was drawn in to help us to understand what this is about. But the intent is about the church. So he said, this is a great mystery. But I speak concerning Christ in the church. Nevertheless, he says, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself. In other words, I want you to understand what I'm really talking about. But also, I want you to understand, I do want husbands to love their wives and for wives to um, respect their husbands. I think that this is, this is something for us to go through, to think about, and to digest. Because, you see, why is this analogy being drawn? It is being drawn because the first church was in the home. People did not congregate the way we are congregating now. The first church was the home. And that is how it was understood. That in the home, the husband was also considered a priest unto his family. And the role of the wife in a support role to that leadership was supposed to be a complementary. If you look in Job chapter 1 verses 4 to 6, you can just note it. And you look in Deuteronomy chapter 6 verses 1 to 25, you see the concept of the home being the church. When the church started in the New Testament, it started in the homes. It was after a while that people began to congregate. The same thing later on when, when many families grew, the families came together and they would worship together. But it would have been one of the heads or some of the heads of the families, the husbands, that would now be leading because it's still the same family structure. That is why men are your elders and your pastors. That is why. That's how it emerged. It's not that God is saying men are better than women and it, it has nothing to do with it has all to do with the role. It has all to do with the role. So that you don't have to ask the question that should women be the pastors, because you understand how the home operates. You understand how God has set it up. Those questions, you know, you can answer them easily, because you're following a basic principle. You're following a basic structure. And this is where eldership in the Bible originates. We talk about elders 
And we say, who are elders? Many people define it in ways where they say, oh, an elder is just an older person. That's what it is. It is true in the Bible that the word elder is also used to refer to older persons. But that's one use of the word. And the reason you will see that is because it is usually older persons, the older men, who would have had the level of responsibility because they usually were the fathers that they later would become to fill an office called the office of eldership. So that God would have later on when the homes were growing and there were many homes the nation of Israel would now have many elders who are they? They were the heads of the households. These were the elders. But you will notice, as I will show you, that out of those elders, he chose 70. From among the elders. And they now were elders who were ordained. So you have elders by way of age and seniority. But you have elders by way of an office, a position, a role. And that's, that, that is, I'll make reference to it as you go along. But if you turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 4 and 5. you will see that in speaking about an elder, the Apostle Paul describes an elder as one who rules his own house well. Because it's coming from the family structure. And what you're speaking about in verse 5, he says, if a man does not know how to rule his own house, how will he take care of the household of God. Because again, it is a transfer of the same leadership in the home that comes into the church. That is why it's there. Look, if he can't take care of his household, he can't be an elder in the church. Because the whole structure is that the, the, the elder is one who is, is head of a household. That is why the elders are your heads in the church. That's how Christ, and that's how the, the Word of God portrays it. So the church in the Bible is sometimes called the family of God, the household of God. In order to remind us of how, uh, how that operates. You, you, you turn with me uh, quickly to Job chapter 1 um, and we look at verses 1 to 5 and we see there how in that household that Job functioned 
among his children and his family as a priest. And similarly, so did Abraham, so did Isaac, so did Jacob. They were all priests of their household. Households. That structure I maintain. Job 1, verse 1 to 5. There was a man in the land of us whose name was Job, and that man was blameless and upright, and one who feared God and shunned evil. Here is an elder in the Old Testament. Managing his household, righteous man, all the things that you see Paul would say about an elder in the New Testament. Verse 2. He had seven sons and three daughters who were born to him, and his sons would go and feast in their houses, each on his appointed day, and would send and invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. Verse 5. So it was, when the days of feasting had run their course, that Job would send, here's the father, and sanctify them. And he would rise early in the morning and offer burnt offerings. This is a, this is a home with children and a father. He would rise early in the morning and offer burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, here was his concern. He was kind of a, a Christ unto them. For Job said, it may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. And so he was carrying out an intercessory role as Christ carried out for us, for his family. That is the concept we are working with when we look at elders in the church. It is derived from this bigger principle of home. So now, let's talk a little bit about elders. So, we are seeing then that the word elder is one that can be used in more than one ways. One is, it can be an older person. And that is where sometimes a bit of confusion comes in. Person say, elder, why are you calling this man an elder? You know, look how many elders are in the church. But the point is that whilst you have people who are older in the church, they, you also have those who are appointed into the role and is also called um, elder. The, in, in the Hebrew, it is um, G-A-W-D-O-L-E, Godol, and that means greater in any sense. So an elder is considered to be greater than the other members of his family. So it's whether it's greater in age or greater in stature or greater in dignity. Those are the terminologies. Godol. And the Greek word presbyterus, which is where the word presbyter, um, you know, so you have one... Uh, one denomination calls itself Presbyterian because it, it uses um, an eldership model. 
of um, governance. It is that word means older or senior. That's in the in the Greek. And so the word is used different ways in scripture. If you look in Acts, you can write it down. Acts two and verse seventeen. You'll see where the word elder is used or presbyterus is used as advanced age, a person who's old in age. But if you look, um, and also in Acts, uh, Acts, um, in Luke 15, 25, you'll see it is the elder of two persons. One person is older than the other. So it's not necessarily an old person in age, it's just that one is older, so it's an elder brother. But the two brothers may be one eight and one ten, and the elder is ten. That's in Luke fifteen twenty-five. That example is there. And um, we are seeing. Where it refers to our forefathers, the forefathers, the prophets, and the and the patriarchs, and that you see in Matthew 15 and verse 2, and also in Mark 7, verse 3 and verse 5. There, the 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 Pharisees ask, why do your disciples transgress the tradition of elders? That is talking about their forefathers. Um, so th- that is, those are some concepts that are used there. <clears throat> but let us turn to Exodus um, 16, uh, Exodus 3, verses 16 and 17. And there you're going to see the concept where elders are appointed out of the elders. So you're going to see the two things working together. Where yes, it is true that the older men were called elders. But you're going to be seeing where some of them were appointed to be in an office which is called elder. He says, here the Lord said to Moses, this Exodus 3, verses 16 and 17. The Lord said to Moses, go and gather the elders of Israel Together, Say to them, the Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac and of Jacob, appeared to me, saying, I have surely visited you and seen what is done to you in Egypt. And I have said, I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Ammonites, and so on. Okay? So those are the elders, all the older men, the head of the households. So it's a Call the head of the household together and, and, and say this to them. You'll notice here now, go, go, go in, turn over into um, Numbers, the book of Numbers, chapter 11 and verse 14. The book of Numbers, chapter 11, verse 14. It shows you here that when Moses became overworked and, you know, his leadership responsibilities was more than he could manage, 
he cried to the Lord and he said, Lord, I am not able to carry all these people alone. The burden is too heavy for me. Here is where we are going to be having the next level of elders. And in verses 16 to 17, God instructed Moses to select 70 of the elders. Now these 70 elders, they were in a position, a role, they were still called elders. The 70 elders. But that was a position, a role. So whilst you are referring to the older person as an elder, there is a position now that is that of an elder. So here we have God said to Moses to ensure that they are good leaders and so on. Let's read here. Verses uh, 67. The Lord said to Moses, Gather for me 70 men of the elders of Israel, whom you know to be the elders of the people. Ah. So he's getting some elders who are even elders in another way. They're not just elders of their families, but they seem to have the respect of the whole community. So it is elder in another capacity. And, and officers over them. Here they are officers. So it is not just an age issue. We must be able to get that thought clear. Because it is a thought that many have grappled with over time, and bring them to the tent of meeting, and let them take their stand there with you, and I will come down and talk with you there, and I will take some of the Spirit which is upon you, that is the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, and put it upon them. Here are these seventy are now going to have a Spirit which the rest of the elders don't have. Yet they are called elders. And they shall bear the burden of the people with you, that you may not bear it yourself alone. That is what is going to emerge in the New Testament. So when you come to the New Testament and we talk about elders, that's not where it begins. It all began at creation. And it began as the households began to develop, and God had to bring many households together. And then, when they were meeting together, he had to pull out some of the elders of the household and make them elders in the church. That is why, if a man cannot manage his household well, he cannot be an elder in God's church. He may be an elder in his family, but he is not qualified to be an elder in God's church. But don't you make any error of not differentiating between that elder and the one who is appointed in the church. And those elders, by the way, who Moses appointed, many of them, they were the ones who were judging the people. They became judges and they were conducting, um, settling uh, disputes and they were doing many things of that sort. 
So that is it. So now let's go to Titus in the New Testament. Chapter 1, beginning in verse 5. And let's look at these qualifications that God says for the elders. So God is saying, look, take some people who have households, but here is the kinds I want, because not all of them who have their households are doing well. So here are the ones you are to look for. Titus 1 5. For this reason, the Apostle Paul says to Titus, I left you in Crete that you should set in order the things that are lacking and appoint elders in every city as I commanded you. Verse 6. If a man is blameless, just the way that Job was blameless and righteous, the husband of one wife, he is the head of a household, and he is someone who has been um, conducting himself well. Having faithful children, not accused of dissipation or insubordination. That means he's training his children well. That means he's able to manage his household. Because God is now going to be appointing people who can manage his church. But notice how it relates to the home. Notice the qualification is a qualification that comes from his role as father and husband. He goes on, for a bishop must be blameless. Now, you may say, what? How come the word bishop is being used there? Another word is used is like overseer. Because it is one and the same person. An elder is the person in the church, or the persons in the church, who occupy a number of roles. The person is the elder, or the main office, if you say, is the elder. But the elder functions as an overseer, gives oversight, it functions as, as a pastor, shepherd, shepherding the flock, caring for the flock, functions as a teacher, teaching the elder, many rules. So when you see these terms, elders, bishop, pastor, and so on, it's all talking about the elder. It is the elder who is functioning in these ways. For a bishop must be blameless as a steward of God, not self-willed, not quick-tempered, must be very even-tempered, must be very balanced, a man of wisdom, not given to wine, nor violent, nor greedy for money. Those must not be the things that drive, drive him. Instead, he must be hospitable, a lover of what is good, sober-minded, just, holy, self-controlled. That is why elders, you should be able to take a matter to an elder, and you should be able to think about it, because the elders were judges. You should be able to, you should be able to trust him, that he can, he can take a balanced decision and bring about justice. Holy, self-controlled, holding fast, the faithful word as he has been taught. Because elders 
are the teachers in God's church. And therefore, they must hold fast to what the Bible teaches. <coughs> it goes on, that he may be able, by sound doctrine, interesting, how taught and doctrine, teaching and doctrine, is a, such a critical issue in all of this. Both to exhort and to, to convict those who contradict. Many people, they are if they are corrected by an elder, oh, they are not going to say, who are you? I worship the same Jesus as you. So why are you telling me? No. Christ has set up, and he himself appointed all these persons to carry out these functions for the building up of the saints that the church of God may be, may be good. You look in, in 1 Timothy, we don't have to go through it, uh, chapter 3, verses 1 to 7, and you will see there that the, the same qualifications are, um, are utilized there for, um, and in this case it's talking about a bishop, but it's the same qualifications as an elder, you'll see there, because he's just using the terminologies in terms of the function of the persons. But I'll just read it through quickly, um, because it's very it's reinforcing. It says, this is a faithful saying, if a man desires the position of a bishop, he desires a good work. That is, one who is going to be um, an elder who is going to be playing the role of um, overseer. A bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife, same thing like the elders, same thing he's saying, temperate, sober-minded, of good behavior, hospitable, able to teach, the same things. It's not a different person. It's not a different um, category of person. It's the same elder that he's speaking about. Not given to wine, not violent, not greedy. It's, it sounds as though we read this already. But we read Titus. And Titus was saying the same thing here. One speaking about um, the elder, the other speaking about the bishop. But it's just because, you know, if you're, it's, it's, it's just the way if I was to say, well, a pastor should be so and so. And I'm saying all those things about the pastor. But the same thing I'm saying about the pastor, I'm saying it also about um, an elder. So you're saying, what's going on here? Well, the elder functions as a pastor. So the same qualifications apply. That's really what it means. Now, this tells us, it, it, gets, it, it answers so many questions. When we take the view, understanding how this whole concept of eldership ori originates, you know, the question people ask is, who appoints them? Shouldn't we, shouldn't we take a vote? Shouldn't we sit down and vote and say who must become our elder? That's not how it's done. But just to reinforce that point, because you've seen now that it emerges, but you may say, ah, yes, it is true that it must be someone of those qualifications, but shouldn't the church really, you know, be told that, look, we're looking for an elder, um, and, you know, we have uh, these five persons, would you vote and tell us which one you want to be elder? Well, here's how it is done in the Bible. Remember, God said to Moses, you, Moses, Choose. It was Moses. 
He didn't say, tell the people to vote for. Well, the same thing is being done here. Acts 14, verse 23. It shows you there that Paul and Barnabas appointed elders for the church. Two elders. Elders are appointing elders. Moses appointing elders. And they're going to have the same spirit that Moses has. So, Acts 14.23 answers that question. You also see an answer to that question in Titus 1, 5 to 6. We read it, but I did not point it out while we were reading there in Titus. But notice it says, Paul said to Titus, The reason I let you, Titus, he speaking to, in Crete, was that you, Titus, might straighten out what was left unfinished and appoint elders. You, Titus, is to appoint the elders. Nobody else. It's not, don't go there and, and, and say you all must vote on somebody and tell us who you want to be your elder. So it is a ministry that appoints the elders. And he said, appoint elders in every town as I directed you. So here's Paul directing another elder, one elder directing another elder, and saying, you go and do this. And the same thing he did with Timothy in, uh, in, um, in 2 Timothy 2. Verses 1 to 2, he says to Timothy, You then, my son, Timothy, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses. And here's what he says, And trust to reliable men who will also be qualified to teach others. So you can't simply give, um, you can't simply give the um, work of an elder to someone who is not able to defend the word of God. That is why it takes time for elders to um, finally decide on other elders. And what authority do elders have in the church? Look at First uh, uh, Peter 5, verse 2 to 4. The authority of elders... The instruction, Peter is instruction, instructing the elders. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care. The flock of God is under the care of the elders. Think about that concept. It's like the father, his children are under their care. No wonder John refers to the church and he says, my little children. He actually addresses them, the church, as my little children. Some would say, what are you calling your liturgy? No. That's a rule. Serving as overseers. Ah, there it is. The elders serving as overseers. Not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be. Not greedy for money, but eager to serve. Not lording it over those entrusted to you. There is a, there is a balance in that, in that um, oversight that is given, where persons are not, oh, you know, Christ would say, do not lord it over each other. You, you're gentle, you're kind, just the way a father should be. So that's why elders, that home training comes over into the church. Loving, caring, understanding, feeling, Self-denying. Denying yourself for your children. 
Those are the, 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 the values. Not learning it over those entrusted to you, but being exalted to the flock. And when the chief shepherd, Jesus Christ, shall appear, you will receive the crown of glory, which will never fade away. So, the, 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 the elders are really under shepherds. The chief shepherd will come, and we will have to come to him for his flock. Because the church belongs to Christ. Turn with me quickly. We're going to be finishing shortly, but I want to. 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 12 to 13. How you should. How the church must relate to their elders. He's talking about how the elders relate to the church. Does it say how wives, husbands are to relate to their wives? But now look at how the wives are related to the husband. Because when the church, the church of the bride of Christ, is relating to the elders, they're relating to the, the, the relationship is like the relationship between Christ and the church. So just look at this in, in 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 12 to 13. Now we ask you, brothers, to respect those who work hard among you, who are over you in the Lord. Just the way you say, wives, respect your husbands. It's the same thing. It's a church. So it's a, it's a Christ-Church relationship. That is why you are seeing it, husband and wife relationship. <coughs> Hold them in the highest regard, in love, because of their work. In Hebrew 13, verse 7 to 8, it says, Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life. And imitate their faith. That's what Paul said. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. He didn't leave it there, imitate me. Paul is just a man. Paul has many carnal ways. So he says, look, imitate me. But here's how you imitate me. Imitate me in the way you see me imitating Christ. That's really what he said. So it's not just imitate me, carte blanche. It is imitate me as I imitate Christ. Hebrews 13, if you step down to verse 17, there it says, Obey your leaders and submit to their authority. People are opposed to this nowadays. I don't want anyone over me. But Christ has set up a structure. When you defy that structure, you defy Christ. No man is entitled to any of this. It is only because of God's authority. That's why it, 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 it exists. He says, obey your leaders and submit to their authority. They keep watch over you as men who must give an account. So look. Help them out to give a good account. Obey them so that their work may be a joy, not a burden. For that would be of no advantage to you. It's of no advantage to the members of the church to make life difficult for the elders. It's amazing. It's just wonderful. So, what we're seeing here is that it's a structure that is established by God. It is the way that God 
governs his church is the way he wants us to understand it and the church of God. That is why in Acts you saw how much in Acts 2 um, it says of the first Christians how they were very diligent in following the teachings of the apostles. They were very diligent. Your elders are here for the building up of the church, for equipping the saints for work of service. They are appointed by Christ. The Spirit of Christ is given to them. That is why they are appointed with the laying on of hands. The laying on of hands it is another level of spiritual elevation, if you may, for that person to function in the capacity that God has appointed him to, has called him to. And it is going to be the work of each one of us to ensure that what God intends for his church, that it works. In other words, do you know that as a member of the church, or as members of the church, let me put it that way, we can disrupt the work of God. We can cause what God intends not to work out. So sometimes, we as members of the church have to learn how to bear, sometimes, some of the burden in order for God's will to be established. Ultimately, it comes down to a relationship between you and Christ. And the more that you seek after ensuring and supporting what God's will is, the closer will be your relationship with Christ. So for example, if you have an elder, and the elder is someone who you don't think he is doing well, you don't think that he is doing what should be done, you're not pleased, you're not happy. Your job is to do as much as you can to bring out the best in that elder. Because you're doing it for Christ. You're not doing it for the elder, per se. You're doing it for Christ. And you want Christ's work to be done. And you know that because this is what Christ has set up. Because, remember, not everyone that Christ chooses is going to turn out great. We see that with Judas. He chose him. He didn't turn out great. We saw Peter himself not doing so well. Peter himself, you know, denied Christ. Because we are still human. We are still weak. We still are, are trying also to live the Christian life as elders. So you're not going to see perfect people, even though the standards that are set up are very high. You have to understand when, you know, a human is trying his best. And you are trying to help that it works. So it becomes a collective responsibility for all of us to ensure that the eldership works. All of us 
must participate in that. We can't just throw it at him and say, oh, he's not doing this or he's not doing that. We can say, you know what? Just like what Moses was going through. The work was so much for him. He needed help. God had to call some others to help him. You chime in and you are also helping so that it ultimately will work. In this way, it will work out for all of us. So let us just do a bit of wrapping up here. There are some other things um, we can go through at another time. I'm sure your elders here um, and teachers here will do much of that in terms of the difference between deacons and elders and, you know, uh, there are many other things that, um, you know, for example, an elder doesn't have to be an older person. An old person. Doesn't have to be an elder person in age. Because we see that in the Bible, elders were persons like also Timothy and Titus, young men that were appointed. It comes down more to the responsibility that these were persons who, who met the criteria of being responsible and able to manage God's household. So, let us just wrap up here. Responsibilities. So, what we understand is the elder shepherds God's flock. A shepherd to sheep, the shepherd protects, the shepherd guides, the shepherd prepares and ensures, taking care, tending the flock. There's all these things. Offers oversight voluntarily. Watch over the souls. In a sense, the Bible says we must watch over one another's souls. But in a more specific way, the elder has a responsibility. Share in the responsibility, let me put it that way, for your soul. So when the elder calls you and says, listen, um, I saw something the other day and I'm not sure if what I saw was exact. But I saw this little situation and you know, this is what you were doing or so. And so the elder has called you in order to bring you some correction. You, you need to understand that's a role that the elder has. The elder is not, not interfering in your business. The elder cares. The elder is given that responsibility. And if the elder does not do it, he's going to be held accountable. Those are some of the things that must be done. The elder must live an exemplary life so that others can emulate him. So that's another part of the role of the elder being a good model for the rest of the flock. The elder acts as a judge and can be someone who in taking a decision and you go to the elder and the elder helps to complete it and is able to say, ah, you know, and we can go by that. All of that is in the word. Is in the word. And by the way, I should have, I should have been just giving you the scriptures if you want them. The one about flock, that he's, he's uh, shepherd of the flock, First Peter 5, 2. The one I made about he must exercise oversight, First Peter 5, 2 again. It is there. Um, must live an exemplary life for the flock. Verse 3 of First Peter 5. <coughs> he's to anoint and pray for the sick. James 5, verse 14. Go to the elder. Call for the elders. And let them lay hands and pray for you if you are sick. 
teaching. 1 Timothy 5 verse 17 and, and Titus 5 verse 9. That they can be a judge to, to take decisions. You go to Acts 15 verses 2 verses 6. I know I'm speaking a little bit fast. I'm closing now. Verses 22 to 29. The same Acts 15. You see all that there. And of course we went through the qualifications already. We see the qualifications. May I urge then that as we um, we close that each one of us take a kind of a personal you know, responsibility to say, you know what? I am a member of God's church. I need to do things the way God wants it. This is not about human beings. It's about God. It's about what God has established. And therefore, I know I've come into a family. I'm a member of a family when I'm in the church. Let me behave as a family member in the church. Let me understand that you know, the elder is a kind of father role, the role that he plays in the church. Let me understand that there is there's an authority structure in the church, and let me relate to that authority. Let me understand that when I relate to to you know or, or, or leaders or so, it's, it's as though you're relating to Christ because it is the authority of Christ. These things are important for us to understand. And elders, we as elders realize we have an awesome responsibility to the congregations that God has set under us. We, we, we are to give up our lives for the congregation the way Christ gave his life for the church or the way a husband is to give up his life for his wife. That's an awesome responsibility. By working together, we can accomplish the will of God. This is what God wants for his church. We all will try and live it out. Despite our infirmities, with the Spirit of God, we can do it. Amen. This has been a podcast from the Burlington Congregation of the Church of God International. We hope you are blessed by it. To find out more about CGI Burlington, visit our website at cgiburlington.com. Dot